Howdy, what's going on? Welcome to the program. It's the Pete Callender Show. I am the Pete Callender of the Pete Callender Show. That's coincidence would have it. And uh, you can hear all of the latest episodes at thepetecallendershow.com. And you can also download the podcast on all of your favorite platforms. We are everywhere. And if I'm not on your favorite platform, uh, send me an email, petecallender at gmail.com, and I will endeavor to get it listed up at your favorite podcasting platform. You can also join the Facebook group at The Pete Callender Show. That's the name of the group. Again, as coincidence would have it. Uh, the show is made possible by all sorts of great people like Keith and Kim and Kristen and Kim and Lori and Les and Lisa and Lori and LLP. So all of who uh, became all of whom became patrons to the program by going to the Patreon account. And I appreciate their support. I also appreciate Mattress Man Stores supporting the program as they have for uh, quite a while now before I even started the podcast. They were uh, supporting me on the radio show and they do great work over there. They're great people, great products, great mattresses. Uh, they've got all of the best mattresses. The Restonic line uh, is the Biltmore collection made by Restonic. These are fantastic beds. Uh, but they also recognize that a lot of people uh, are not going to be able to get out and about and uh, visit one of their four showrooms in the Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville area. So uh, they revamped their website and they said, why don't we make it way, way easier for people to shop online and see everything that we've got going on in all of our stores. And uh, they've got all their inventory up there. So you can go to the website mattressmanstores.com and you can peruse all of their offerings. The inner spring mattresses, the pillow top mattresses, uh, the uh, memory foam. That's what Christy and I bought years ago for Mattress Man and uh, long before uh, they were an advertiser. So like, we believe in them. We believe in their company. They have great products. Uh, they have all of the beds, and you can get the 120-day comfort guarantee with them. So that means uh, they want you to find the right mattress. And so 120 days, comfort guarantee, it ensures you're going to love your mattress, right? And if you don't, they'll exchange it for free for the limited time. 120-day comfort guarantee. And if you are local, you get the free white glove delivery service. All right, use the special discount code RESTWELL, all one word, RESTWELL. Uh, use that code for an additional 20% savings site-wide. Mattressmanstores.com. Support the local businesses here that support the program, uh, and they want to be part of this community that we are. So uh, that's why I'm, I'm proud to be an ambassador for their company. Experience the difference at Mattressman. Mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. Uh, so a couple of pieces of news on the COVID front. Uh, the latest projections came out today. And uh, the projections for the number of beds needed and ventilators and deaths and infections, all of these numbers have come down. And I know some people who want to believe that it isn't that big of a deal, they're going to say, aha, this is proof that it's not that big of a deal, relying on the very estimates that they dismissed a week ago. <clears throat> but uh, other folks who think is, uh, that uh, a pandemic and a highly contagious virus uh, that does permanent damage to your lungs and such, um, that this is a big deal, they look at these numbers and they say, the social distancing is working, the economic, uh, you know, 
lockdown that we are in right now uh, it is working and the proof is in these numbers by the way we will be talking with congressman patrick mchenry shortly about uh, some of these very topics about china and about the economic uh, conditions and how we emerge from this the ihme which is the institute for health metrics and evaluation ihme Uh, It's at the University of Washington School of Medicine. They're the ones that put out all of these projections, and they have uh, revised their forecast, which, by the way, this is going to keep happening every week or so because as you get more data in, the models change. And so what they find is lower hospital bed need, epidemics starting to peak, and it confirms to them, at least, they say that this confirms social distancing works. So a couple so so this you got a couple of big data points, right? Number one, you got all this new data, uh, says Dr. Christopher Murray, who is the director of the IHME. And the new data uh, that they use comes from now multiple US states, New York, Massachusetts, Georgia, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Florida, and California. And with all of the new data coming in, now they're able to uh, revise their estimates downward. In addition, Estimation of the likely peak of the epidemic in each state has also been strengthened by epidemics peaking after social distancing in seven more locations internationally. So they're looking at these other uh, nations, and when they instituted social distancing uh, programs and protocols, they saw essentially the peak came sooner. Well, what does that mean? Uh, It means that they stopped it, that the peak hits And then rather than continuing to go up and up and up for a longer period of time, it then starts going down. Uh, So they say we're getting more and more precise data and the forecasts are are becoming more accurate. Still, there is an estimated roughly 16,000 bed shortage in America for ICU beds. And uh, also, Murray noted that for patients who do not require ICU services, their length of stay has gone down. But for those who need ICU services, the length of stay has increased. Okay, so if you don't need intensive care, um, the length of stay has gone down. If you do need intensive care, the length of stay has gone up. Uh, But that could also be due to the fact, at least the, uh, the first step, could be due to the fact that if you don't need intensive care, they may not even be seeing you. They, they're not even letting you into the hospital to check in, whereas, you know, if it wasn't a pandemic, they would probably admit you. But now they're, they're, they're not admitting you. They're just saying, go home. So that could be putting uh, downward pressure, basically, on the stats. Uh, regarding the deaths from the virus, their forecast is about 82,000 deaths, but the range is 49,000 to 136,000. So somewhere in that range... And so the, what their estimate is sort of the midpoint at about 82,000. Um, the estimated peak day, according to the modeling, is April 16th, when a projected 3,130 deaths nationwide will occur on April 16th. That's their projection. Um, projecting the epidemic in each state depends on predicting the peak. One week ago, the only place that had experienced a peak was Wuhan City. Okay, so remember, we're still having to deal with the data from that or the initial projections were all about Wuhan. And one week ago from today, a week ago from today, the only place that had experienced a peak was Wuhan. Uh, Murray cautioned, as we noted previously, the trajectory of the pandemic will change. 
uh, and dramatically for the worse if people ease up on social distancing or relax with other precautions. Our projections are strengthened by the new downturns in more regions, and this is evidence that social distancing is crucial. Our forecasts assume that social distancing remains in place until the end of May. I'm not sure what that means for the lockdown component here, though. Social distancing, does that mean, like, bars and restaurants can't open until May? That's going to be bad. That's going to be bad. If we can't get the economy fired back up by May... Current events have impacted us all in different ways. Rowena Patton knows that you may be thinking about postponing or buying a home um, in the future, selling a home in the future now, whereas you may have been considering it, you know, a month ago. You were like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. And now it's like, yeah, we're probably not going to do this. Either way, Rowena Patton looks forward to guiding you through your next real estate transaction, whether it's May or it's June or it's next year. Give her a call and you can get all of your questions uh, answer just by talking with Rowena. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. She's the official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville, which is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from realtor commissions. And that goes to healthcare professionals, educators, firefighters, police officers, and um, members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retired. She's given back about $800,000 to people in those professions, uh, and she's the only Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. So give her a call at 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. North Carolina's 10th District Congressman Patrick McHenry joins me now. Welcome to the show. Uh, Congressman, how are you? Doing great, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Certainly. So uh, you are not in D.C., right? You are self-isolating, working remotely uh, from your district, from your house. That's right. In uh, in uh, around Lake Norman, North Carolina. So, um, it, you know, suburbs of Charlotte, beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, but with a five and two year old, it's not the easiest thing to office from home when my wife and I are both working. But but we're, we're making do. And, and if my um, two-year-old wakes up uh, well you'll know that's you'll right know. i think we'll know at the same time <laughs> well that so that was going to be my next question was uh what have you found to do to pass the time and i guess if you have two uh two infants two young kids running around you probably don't uh you're, not, you're probably not asking yourself that question actually oh no i don't <laughs> think so and last couple of weeks have been uh, pretty intense in terms of uh, you know get, getting work done um getting the implementation uh, implementation of the cares act done is uh one of the big things mm-hmm. that we're we've been working on is that your child in the background there is that the one that was sleeping yes and there's my two-year-old who's saying <laughs> she wants to be a part of the program <laughs> so every we are all now uh what is it the the guy who was on bbc the famous now famous video where he's doing the interview on bbc and the kids come in the back uh behind him and then the his wife uh, stumbles through the door and like drags the kids out from behind him and uh, tries to get him off exactly the screen. That's exactly what's happening. That's now, a- <laughs> now my two are on my lap. Uh, he wants to be a part of this. So, oh uh, no! What's great about a, a, a podcast is that uh, this, this might actually sell somewhere. I, I just um, don't think it's uh, that's not the intention here, Pete. So so thanks for thanks for working with me on this. Oh, not uh, a problem. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, if you, and if you if you need to take care of your kids, it's totally fine. If you need to duck away for a bit, that that I, I no, totally understand. 
Reese is on my lap right now, and uh, she's doing okay now. Okay, all right. And everybody's doing well? The family's doing well then, right? Yeah, everybody's Good. doing well. Right. Everybody's doing well, thankfully, and safe and uh, and healthy. So let's ask uh, let's start with the cares act you mentioned it uh before and um there are there are a lot of questions still out there about implementation and and what does it mean for people so can do you have sort of an elevator uh pitch on or, or a little card that tells sort of the highlights of what this thing is it's two trillion dollars and there's no way obviously everybody knows everything that's in it right i, I dare say nobody read the entire thousand page legislation or maybe you did i just it seemed like it got pushed through very very quickly right but the contours of the specifics of it we worked through i worked through mm-hmm. I, I negotiated a piece of this bill about um about a third of the total cost structure of this thing relates to uh financial products um and then we have about another 25 percent that is directly with the small business component of it so I would break down the the spend this way. You have um, you have direct checks uh, that go to individual taxpayers, uh, husband and wife making one hundred fifty thousand dollars or less, an individual making seventy five thousand dollars or less. We'll get a uh, an individual will get twelve hundred bucks. A married couple will get twenty four hundred bucks. Uh, that is a that is a, probably a, 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 roughly a quarter of the bill. Let's take it that way. Um, a, a quarter of the bill is uh, in a fund called the Exchange Stabilization Fund with Treasury. Uh, that can do lending to uh, national security-related industries. Um, uh, think, uh, think about uh, aerospace, uh, rockets, missiles, uh, airplanes, uh, and airlines, as well as backstop financial products so that they can continue to be made. Think, think about uh, ensuring that your credit card, uh, can, you can still get uh, uh, the flow to the money on your credit card. Think uh, a big business can get uh, access to a financial product to make payroll uh, for long-dated uh, uh, income that they may have. Um, that's $500 billion. Uh, Small Business Administration, it's $350 billion, and that yeah, works through the Paycheck that. Protection Act. Um uh, uh, that's Reese asking where her sister went. Um, and, and so that $350 billion uh, program with SBA, um, uh, that is driven to businesses under 500 people and allows them uh, to get um, lending at a very low rate, uh, at a 1% rate uh, for a two-year period of time. Uh, if they pay their payroll, continue to maintain their payroll for eight weeks, that portion of the loan will be forgiven. It will become a grant. So the idea here is to keep uh, small business employees paid uh, in small businesses in existence. Um, and then the uh, other component of that, this bill, is it deals with tax policy so that businesses can carry forward losses and that through a, a variety of tax changes, they can make ends meet and still provide, um, um, uh, you know, health care to their employees and make payroll and do those things. Uh, so it, that's this bill. Uh, the health care expense, expense, uh, expenses were driven as a piece of that in this bill. But the bigger piece of that was in the uh, second package, 
um, which uh, got got monies out uh, out the door for that. So, so pretty big bill, not a simple explanation. No. Um, well, but, but uh, yeah, um, of course not. It's $2 trillion, right? So that's why I know it's kind of unfair to even ask, like, what's the thumbnail sketch of it? But um, I, a lot of, I think people are uh, most interested about the piece that affects them directly, right? <laughs> so, yes, they, of course. <laughs> I mean, so if you're a small business person, the SBA program is the most sensitive piece. I've worked really hard this, this week to make sure the implementation would work. Um, in the first 15 hours of the program, you have $1.8 billion of lending that has occurred through that SBA program. That is more than what the SBA does in a normal month, Hmm. Um, more than the SBA does in a normal month. Um, And and so that is a very, quite an extraordinary amount of of loans going out that are being made. Um, And so uh, if you're a small business person, that's what you think of. If you're an average taxpayer, you're thinking about getting a live check um, or the direct deposit. Um, and so those things are all, all you know, a, a big component of this bill. So was there not a mechanism or a way to get the money to uh, through small businesses? Why not just say, what's your payroll? Here's a check, pay your people. Why, why, why go about it with a, uh, via a loan program? Um, well, the, there's not a ready there's not a simple way at the federal government to know every small business person's payroll expense. Um, Even with because, through the IRS? Well, do you want the IRS to have that granular knowledge uh, week by week? So, mm-hmm. you know, the data is is stored separately for that. And what we've tried to do is keep, keep IRS data from being meddled with um, for other sort of social purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, why not? Um, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking of some of the questions people were asking when, uh, when the details on this world were, were coming out. Like, uh, if it was, if it's essentially helicopter cash, and that's kind of how I've been looking at it, right? This is, uh, and I I guess maybe I should back up. Like I've, I've kind of rejected the term stimulus, uh, and, and I kind of reject the term, uh, for a bailout. Uh, I, I view it more as a relief or rescue package. I don't, I, because th- this is, wasn't, yeah, this wasn't anything that the business owners did or, uh, you know, workers did or anybody did. This wasn't anybody's fault. Um, it, it wasn't reckless loans or something or bad business decisions or moral hazards or anything. This was, this was, uh, you know, the plague basically coming to their front door um, and government, sure. you know, sticking a, a a peg in the spokes of the economic wheel, so to speak. So they're not to blame for this. And so if we're if if it seems like we're just going to go ahead and say, OK, we're starting from the premise of we're just going to dump you know money out of the helicopter doors, just dump it on everybody. Then why not just just mail out checks to everybody? Just you know, two thousand, three thousand dollars. Just send it all out. Everybody gets two, three thousand, and recognize that okay, there's going to be waste, fraud, and abuse. There are going to be people that get it that don't need it or shouldn't get it, but they're going to get it anyway. And just accept that because uh, the times are the times require you to accept that there's going to be that level of misspending uh, of the dollars. Um, yes, that is that is one thought. <laughs> and you, you, have, you have, okay. So, so is that your polite way? That's your polite way of saying bad idea. 
Oh, no, 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 no. So, so let me step back and, and give you the way I've thought of this because I'm, I, I think we're on the sort of similar sheet of music here. Um, not on the same note, but on the same sort of page mm-hmm. of music. So I looked at this event as, as if it were a hurricane, an earthquake, a flood, mm-hmm. right? So you're living peacefully by the river and, uh, uh, there are massive rains, and you are now without a home, right? And no way of life, no mm-hmm. way to provide for yourself for a brief period of time. Well, that's a natural disaster. We step in and try to make people whole um, and, and try to do so in sort of a reasonable way. Um, that's one way to look at this. The the, the way I, I think about this CARES Act and the amount of money we're spending on it, I think of it in terms of uh, of uh, a taking by the federal government or the state government. Yeah, I think of this as eminent domain. I don't like the use of, of the eminent domain power by, by government. I don't. But if that happens, I want to make sure that we we make we make people whole or as close to whole as we can. Mm-hmm. And so an event like this, I, I look at it and say, well, the idea of getting money into small businesses so they can maintain payroll and keep employees employed, if you don't have an employer, um, if your employer goes broke, you're you can't be an employee, right? Right. Um, and and um, and if you lay your people off, uh, they're now unemployed, right? I mean, so let's keep people employers in, employing people. That's great. But I agree with you. If there was a a simple mechanism by which you the federal government could readily deposit money in people's accounts and say, here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, for 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 the next two months, here is the way that we're going to uh, keep keep funds going out the door, so that you can actually pay your bills, and and uh, and survive. And on the back end, you have tax policy that would take this for the people that are that that are are you know are more prosperous, mm-hmm. right? So I, I I get the idea. The, the mechanisms here, I I was arguing with senators about just the basic structure of this thing right because i think they went and created way too complex financial products for 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 what the need actually is right like one of the things is the is the look back to 2018 income to determine what the checks are now i mean my status has changed obviously since 2018 uh but i I can see where my, I don't think it's going to affect me because I was making more money back then than I am now. But for people who it's vice versa, you know, they're going to get screwed. It seems like. Yes. No. Oh. Yes. And there's some. <laughs> yeah, okay. they they are. Yeah. There's just no getting around it. Yeah. You when you when you have it when you have government take action, you have the legislative branch take action in two weeks to spend two and a half trillion dollars. Yeah, you're going to have some bad stuff in there. And I, and I mean, look at the Kennedy Center stuff like that is not a national crisis, mm-hmm. national emergency um, to, to get money for the Kennedy Center or, or for, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, national endowment for the arts or whatever. Or Public radio or. or yeah. 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 I mean, that's that is not that, that is uh, uh, greedy politicians trying to pad uh, their relative political allies. And I think that is that is exactly why I want to a limited government but also if we have a limited government and we have structured our finances correctly we then have a rainy day fund right so 
you have a rainy day fund, then you can make these decisions much more readily uh, without the, the complicated economic consequences that we're going to face because of because of, you know, basically our profligate spending over the last you know couple of decades. Mm hmm. Um, the concern that I'm hearing now, and maybe North Carolina, we've been under our stay-at-home order, and in Buncombe County here, we've been under it for uh, going on, this is like three weeks, uh, and, you know, the governor has extended it through the end of April, and um, I, 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 I noticed there seems to be a, a slight change and evolution, if you will, in some of the reaction when I say this, uh, whereas when I originally started saying what I'm about to say, People accuse me of wanting other people to die, uh, but now it seems like there's uh, there's a willingness to entertain the thought, which is how do we emerge from this? Because like what I'm looking around, and my concern is that, uh, and as the president said, like this, our economy was not built to be shut down like this. And what's happening in the last two weeks, three weeks, is you're seeing yes, all the unemployment claims coming in, but. Now you're going to start seeing sort of the second wave is the destruction of wealth and businesses that will close down and never reopen. Uh, savings accounts, uh, college savings, retirement savings are going to get wiped out. And uh, it's just it's it's devastation. And so I, I like I'm not I'm not clear as to and maybe that's the thing, like I'm asking for clarity here because it doesn't seem like anybody has a plan for how to emerge from this. Uh, at some point sooner than, you know, in our case, April, but I'm not even betting on that. And I look up the road in Virginia and uh, Governor Blackface went and did, uh, uh, what, through June 10th or something, June 10th. Like, I don't understand. Like, that to me indicates societal collapse at that point. How do you have an economy shut down for three months? I, I, I don't, I cannot fathom that. Oh, I can't. And, and you know, the, the we've got all these political analysts that are saying, well, you know, th this crisis exposes our economic frailty. Wait a second. No one predicted that we're going right. to have a shutdown of, I mean, you're basically talking about the GDP on a 40% of our GDP disappearing for two months. I'm sorry. That's not on anyone's risk profile. Right. 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 And, and when you say a rainy day fund, you don't have folks thinking, I'm going to go from making a very nice living to making zero that is that is not that's not a, a a you know an easy transition uh for for really you know 95 percent of the american people um and and you think about businesses you think about local governments mm -hmm. that that are so dependent on hotel room night taxes and the airport landing and takeoff and and all those systemic things that just happen right of, of buying stuff right At, they don't contemplate having two months of you know revenue cut, being cut in half so it, this isn't exposing of anything else it, other than we we've got to do a better job of testing right uh i'm sorry it it does highlight um some issues that we've got to deal with in order to deal with this health crisis. Right. Um, but it doesn't have this larger economic sort of idea around it. So to that end, how do you reemerge? Scott Gottlieb put out um, mm -hmm. a, 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 an interesting approach. The way I look at it is pretty simple. You get mass testing and then people know that you're in a safe zone or not in a safe zone. And if you want to move out of a hot zone, where there is a high incidence of this, uh, then you need to have further orders to stay in place. 
But if you if you have a county that doesn't have a high incidence of this, then you might be you should be able to move more freely than if you're in a hot zone where there's a higher incidence of this. Well, how do you know? And how do you know if you're you're infecting other people? You have to have ready tests. And it, it, the, the better able word to get testing to scale, meaning a technology that ensures that testing can happen very, very quickly, then you, we can reemerge. And it means uh, if this virus, as is likely, reemerges next fall, mm -hmm. like uh, the great influenza, you know, Spanish flu of 1918 reemerged, then we have to have testing at such a rapid, massive scale so we can function. We don't need to have a shutdown like this again. And we need to be able to get back to economic life and, and feel safe doing it, that we're not putting people at risk. Right. Yeah. And because come fall, we can't, this can't happen again. Uh, and I don't think people will put up with it again. Because uh, at some point, no. people will go sort of cabin fever crazy. And, uh, you know, if it comes down to not being able to feed their family and getting evicted from their uh, apartments or thrown out of their homes by the uh, uh, by the banks or the, the county, like, you know, people are going to behave uh, in different ways than they are right now. If, you know, what are you going to do? Cancel school again in the fall? Uh, like, I, it's not this is not a sustainable track that we're on. And um, at least now I'm I'm seeing, yes, and I think the, I think widespread testing is the first thing that has to happen. So to that end, what is the what is the the role for the federal government, if any, in doing this? Well, what I will say is that the the, the president and the administration has done a, a good job of sticking to the confines of constitutional order. It is not for the federal government to issue a stay at home order mm -hmm. that is not what we want as a federal police state a, a state government and a local government they have different uh, rights and responsibilities that we've given them uh, but not the federal government the federal government should not be the one dictating uh, when we emerge or do not emerge and so what the president's used is the bully pulpit to say these are the things we should be doing you should follow these orders and gov governors can make those decisions and, and local folks can make those decisions. So let me just ask you this way and to shift gears uh, to the the origination story here. Um, do you think that the Chinese government misled the world on this virus? So let me say it this way. The Chinese government misleads, period. Right. We know that. Why? Why do we know this? Because communists lie. That's what they do. It is it is in their nature, and it is a part of their orthodoxy, and it is Marxist theory, um, and uh, you know Stalin and Lenin, uh, who built that out into some actual piece uh, 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 for a nation state. Mao. Communists lie, mm -hmm. and, and Mao, and then Mao it, it took it uh, to. Um, uh, to what is a form of what we're experiencing with with, uh, with China. So China, uh, the Chinese uh, lie at home and they lie internationally. The regime needs to lie to their people in order to stay in power, and they need to lie internationally in order to uh, in keep their lie going at home. So that's what I know. I I know that in the experience over the last you know for decades of experience of 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 of. Uh, 
of reading about communists and understanding communist theory and 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 how they they carry out their ideology i know that i do not know in this specific instance that they lied i i do not yet have have all the pieces to to make that proclamation however i would say if they're lying it wasn't about this specific incident it was because of tradition <laughs> it is it's what they do just muscle memory what they right like this it, it's the story of the snake right the snake bites right. it. well it's just in the snake's nature right so so i mean i i don't want to be glib about it now we do know that there there were there they were saying different things internationally than what we know of the actions through social media before it got quashed um uh in in you know the early goings of this thing especially in early january and and you know so i i think i think there are ready signs that they they were they were acting in their traditional form Mm -hmm. what about well should they face any assuming that they uh that there is proof and um there's emerging evidence even today i was reading jim garrity at national review and there's like apparently there are two bioweapons labs that are in Wuhan and both of them happen to be working on bat uh, viruses at the same time. And uh, now some of the people that uh, were cited on their websites are, are now gone and uh, they were hiring for certain positions. But like, like the, you can go down this. And I don't speak Chinese, so I cannot verify any of this. But um, let's assume that that it turns out that this was not by uh, not intentionally released but accidentally got out of the lab, right? And that's, it would explain why they, you know, why, why they destroyed the lab uh, uh, cultures and stuff and, and, and gave all these different conflicting stories and stuff to try to, uh, uh, try to cover their tracks on this. Assuming that's the case, what sort of repercussions should China face for that? Well, I, I think this is one where you have to have a concerted international response because, um, you know, the, the devastation wrought of the whole world. Uh, we've contemplated invasion in a number of different ways, but not invasion via a virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, but clearly this is an invasion and we have to respond to, to this like it's an act of war. Well, they're moving troops in the south. Uh South China. Oh, I don't want to say that. Yeah, South in the South China Sea. South right? China Sea. Yeah, I right. mean they they've moved a bunch of troops around in, in in that body of water now, and it's like, yeah, I mean it, it, if you want people to doubt your intentions, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, China. <laughs> it seems pretty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, no, they they have a worldview that they're that they're trying to put in action mm-hmm. for sure, absolutely for sure, and for those folks that were. Um, more favorable to China. If this doesn't, if this is not a wake up call for them, then they, you know, they're, they got a, they got deeper, deeper psychological issues they need to work on deeper, deeper physiological brain function that they got to work on. Do you think that, I think we probably agree. This is a generation defining event. This is, there's going to be, it's going to be like pre COVID and post COVID. Um, How do you think society changes and i guess sort of the easiest one would be because we're talking about china our relationship or manufacturing uh relationships with china what do you think changes what does this what does this look like have you heard 
people raising these sorts of um, uh, concerns and saying, you know what, uh, going forward, we're going to find ways to to bring a lot of this stuff, you know, pharmaceutical production, bring it back home, stuff like that. Well, you think about the changes that that came about um, with the first world war, you, you, there was a realization of policymakers in Washington that we have key pieces of our defense uh, equipment and economic uh, capacity that came from Germany and, and coming out of world war one in the twenties, they created a number of different, um, they changed a lot of policy out of Washington to ensure that we had those optionalities in other parts of the world that we weren't so reliant on, on Germany. And that came, you know, came into play in the 1940s um, and, and made us much stronger uh, to respond uh, in World War II. I think likewise, we have to have a deeper contemplation of our, our supply chain uh, and the minerals and materials that we use to build our society. Those base materials for most of our pharmaceuticals um, come out of China. Uh, that is a massive risk uh, for us. Technology that is a, a you know basic chipsets coming out of China, we now are much more have greater heightened or heightened awareness uh, around uh, around that risk. Um, so I think we have to rethink uh, a substantial amount of our uh, global supply chain in light of this uh, to make sure that we're more secure if we ever face an event anything like this. Uh, additionally. Because of uh, of how we we approach uh, we've approached this crisis, I think we have to think about how people live and work. And uh, we've got more folks that are gig workers, and I guess you're you would be a gig worker, mm-hmm. um, kind of, yeah. In, well, um, well, what's in a gig? Workers, let's, let's define that first. Then let's. So, what's a gig worker? Well, I think a, a, a gig worker is somebody who doesn't work for. Um, uh, a, a paycheck for uh, some single other entity. Uh, uh, it could be a sole proprietor. It could be somebody who has uh, two or three different jobs uh, in order to make their income stream work for them. Um, could be somebody who has a you know a a a a, a, a um, uh, it you know uh, does Uber or Lyft. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also uh, it does insurance, uh, it, it you know, sells insurance during the day. Right. Um, right. So people that want to that want to have a greater deal of flexibility and control over what they do and how they engage in it. So um, I think we need to have a, 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 a better look at the social safety net uh, for those workers and access to financial products that look like what you would get. If you're an employee of, you know, like a Fortune 500 company, um, how do you access those things? How do you readily access those things? Whether it's healthcare, retirement savings, insurance products, um, and things of that sort. I think we have to look through. I think we have to have a, a, a better understanding of that and make sure that people can make their lives work. Um, and I think that really is 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 heightened right now. Uh, because we're we're all locked in, and a number of these different revenue sources for individuals has been locked out. There and there is a 
certain class divide that has occurred here with a lot of people in sort of the knowledge industry uh, able to work from home and a lot of people who are not in that in, in any of those industries that are not able to work from home and they get deemed to be quote essential personnel so they have to keep going to work and you know risk exposure i mean i went down today to the uh to the store and uh you know went to the grocery store and the people that are working at the grocery store they're putting themselves at risk by going to work and uh people in you know in the knowledge economy don't necessarily have to do that they can uh you know hole up in their apartment like i'm doing right now i can hole up in my apartment and only leave for uh you know for groceries and uh and essential uh, items. So uh, there, I, I think there's uh, th- this. The longer this goes, I think the the starker that contrast and the and, and the wider that divide becomes, and people become acutely aware of it. Yes, and I agree. I agree, and and I think it makes us rethink uh, who we think is essential. Uh, right. There is a great assumption that you know high income earners view themselves as as essential. And when what this economy is showing is now we, we've had a skewed sense of who is important. Mm-hmm. I'll give you I'll give you one example. Right. Um, my five year old is in kindergarten. Her her school has a plan for online learning. If something happens uh, for the school, not contemplated for a month, but contemplated for a week or two weeks or something like that. And so uh, my wife and I are sharing duties on on uh homeschooling or five-year-olds. Right. And I know a lot of people homeschool and I've got, I, I, my, my, uh, I tip my hat to them. Uh, actually I bow to them because <laughs> I mean, they're, they're amazing. And I'm realizing this, but I realize that, that my daughter's teacher deserves to be paid about a billion dollars a year. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's, uh, is that it, in the next just, stimulus or the next relief package? Uh, there you go. There you go. But I mean, I think this really uh, reorients people's thinking about what is important, your relationships in life, um, and in some of the really basic things that we lose sight of because we're so busy doing other things. Um, you know, and so I, I think this is this is really a, an eye opener for all of us as, as individuals, for families, for for communities has there been something that you have uh i don't know when i say rediscovered or uh discovered for the first time in your time at home now that you're spending all this time at home like is there has there been sort of like a huh kind of a moment where you realized this was kind of good for you you realized oh this there was you know i, I wouldn't have known this otherwise um <laughs> well the, the funny thing is I've been so damn busy um, in, in response to this with, um, you know, uh, working the bill to make sure in negotiating the bill so it was a better product. Um, and then now the implementation piece that I haven't been able to really mm-hmm. look up and, and get any sense. What I, uh, knowing, uh, you know, that three weeks in that uh, my wife, and two kids, and now my mother-in-law, who's with us, uh, <laughs> that this has worked, right? And we haven't left other than for, uh, you know, exercise in the neighborhood. Right. Um, right? Well, maybe uh, that's your thing. Maybe that you realize, like, you could actually be quarantined with your family. If you, if you, like, yeah. if you doubted that that could happen, 
it, it you, you it relieved the old doubt. Yeah, it really it 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 really has, and and it really uh, is is uh, is positive to know that um, you know I I love my family. I don't want to be <laughs> hokey about it, but like that 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 makes and that, but as a father, it also focuses me more on the, these two kids. Yeah, because they don't really. My two year old doesn't get it, obviously, but five year old is, is asking these questions. You're like, you know, we just want a, a protective environment for our kids, and you know, you think about that a little, a little more sharply in times like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does refocus you um, around uh, around what what are priorities versus what um, what's what truly is important. Yeah, you know, and I think that it's a. It's a nice thing for us to be able to 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 see that is uh, is in the midst of all this stuff. Uh, one of the positives of, of just giving us a little bit of clarity. Yeah, I mean that that's that's after you know climbing through um, what is economically and health wise just you know uh, you know many many yards of of uh, horse poop before you find the little piece right. of gold you know well and it's it is a coping mechanism which is why i'm uh, I, I try to ask people questions like that because it's you can't it it's very easy to see the negative obviously all the time and so uh there are some positives like for example um if people have discovered that they need a new hobby besides just eating out like this is a good op- this was a good opportunity to learn that um also the value of a good office chair Really, like that's like <laughs> people who are now working from home and they thought, oh, I'll just buy this, you know, cute little chair. And now they can't sit in it for longer than two or three hours because, it, it you know, their back is uh, is killing them after that. So, yeah, like little things like that. It, it does make you it, it it focuses you on different things that you never may have noticed or thought of before, um, just like all these circumstances. Um, I also saw, by the way, you were on Cheddar. TV, I think it is what that yes. thing is. Cheddar. Yeah, yeah. Are you a big fan of Cheddar? I've I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they they basically build themselves as uh, uh, CNBC for millennials. They're, they're basically a, a digital native. Uh, ah. Uh, and uh, uh, money talk, you know. So this was the first time I saw you with the new haircut, though, and I I, I think it looked good. So for folk, if you people are not aware, you've, you've cut all your hair off. Was this intentional? Wait, wait. It, it, is this? Is this? Uh, thank you for you know. I'm I'm trying to follow a good lead here, right? <laughs> uh, to, so, uh, no. What I decided was, uh, look, I look, I I, I kind of realized a couple of years ago the trend was not my friend when it came to hair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I'm like a little. I had this mindset for the last you know year or two. I'm like, you know, I wonder what my head looks like. You know, because mm-hmm. you really don't know until you lose your hair. That is you know, so true. Right. So, so I decided uh, a week ago that I, you know, I said, I'm going to shave my head. My wife's like, just do it. You've been talking about it for a while. Uh, This is, this is a good time. So I just, I just uh, took some clippers and took it all off and the the shape of the head's not, not bad. No, it's not. Um, I mean, uh, I've seen some bad badly shapen heads and uh yeah you lucked out with that that's you know, and like you said you never know until you, until you try it whether or not your head looks good because most of us you know once the hair comes in that's it um and yeah i cut mine off for a charity event several years ago 
because yeah, it's like I could see on the the back of the head there starting to thin out a little too quickly, and I was like, well, I got to see what this looks like just in case. And once I saw, yeah. I was like, okay, I could probably live with this. You know, that's fine. And yeah. some other folks I've seen, it's like, yikes, you're gonna have to pay for something because like that's <laughs> <laughs> that is, <laughs> your dome exactly. is not looking very good. So yeah, so words of encouragement for you. I thought that uh, I, I thought you look good with it. So uh, if, if if you're on the fence. I'd say you should probably uh, give it some time. It'll grow on you, or not, I guess. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Most importantly, um, what does your wife you. think? That's the key. What does your wife think about it? That's the key. Well, now, now that I'm a couple of days into having a little more hair, she thinks you know, going with no clip may be a little too aggressive. <laughs> uh, my five... My five-year-old, though, every day she's taken to commenting about my hair. That doesn't look as bad as yesterday, because <laughs> right. it's growing. In. I was going to ask if you're going to go, if you're going to go right to the razor and just go all the way down, get it shined up, you know, do that, uh, go that route. Because I mean, if you're, I don't think I... if you're on quarantine here, like this is the time to try like all of it, you know. Well, I looked at that and think, I thought, you know, I don't think I want to commit to. To that much shaving yeah. every day. I mean, I you know, I, I, I think uh, less less work when it comes to hair is better. Well, and that is think of the amount of time you are now saving uh, in the mornings when you get up and you get ready to go to work and stuff. You're not going to have to worry about the shampoo. You're not going to worry about any of that. It it does save you a lot of time. It's why I quit shaving my well, face. <laughs> well, you know. That's great. I think I'm not going to advertise that because, you know, your time gets taken away from you when you say you've got more time, more available. (laughs) That's right. That's true. That's true. All right. um, Anything else that you want to add? I'll just give you an open mic here. Anything else you want to add that uh, you think is important or interesting for folks uh, to know? No, I I, I do think this larger question of what, what society looks like after this, I think it's, it's, it's good to think through that. And, um, and I think it's one of the more interesting questions uh, to ask right now because it is in and of itself an optimistic question, meaning we are going to get through this. We will make it and things will get better. Um, so let's think about how we want that to look. And, and I think that's a, that's a, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. So um it, and I think people need a little bit of that optimism right now. The, the thing that I think is, in, is important for all of us is to stay connected to those people that don't have uh, people close to them, loved ones or uh, live alone or, um, or, or those that are in a senior center where we can't go physically visit. Um, I think th- that's, those are the things that we need to try to do and be, be uh, good to our fellow man, especially in these times of stress. Yeah. Um, I I think that's something uh, you know. I think that's something we all can do in in our own way. Well, it's you know, if you want government to do less, we've we've got to do more, and uh, that's that's at the core of the conservative philosophy. So uh, it's difficult, I know, because you know, getting out and not being able to you know be socially you know non distanced from people, I get it, but uh, you know, if people can. People can help in all sorts of ways, and social media is filled with ideas to help other people. And it's uh, so yes, there's a lot of garbage on social media, but there's some positive stuff too. And it's sort of like any kind of crisis or catastrophe. Look for the people who are helping, and um, and and focus on them because there's enough bad people around doing bad stuff. So look for the good people that are helping, and that that will sort of uh, uh, 
renew your faith in humanity, oftentimes. That's uh, right. That's right. Congressman Patrick McHenry, we appreciate your time. As always, stay safe and uh, hope to have you back on the show soon. Hey, thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. All right. Are you prepared for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that is real? Well, then stop looking because I can tell you exactly where to go. Uh, It's Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde on Main Street. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. uh, It is a um, it's an old school traditional military surplus store but it has a mix of modern and vintage items go see my friend tim and he will hook you up he gets new stuff all the time uh he's obviously moved a lot of his operations online now and so you can go check out what he's got at oldgrouch.com if you maybe just need some advice on preparedness uh, topics he can do that for you as well. Oldgrouch.com is the website. Oldgrouch.com. If you're looking for something, Tim has it or he knows where to get it and he will ship directly to you. Oldgrouch.com. Old school, traditional military surplus with a mix of vintage and new items. And uh, by the way, use the promo code Pete and get 10% off. Tell him you heard it here. Um, another piece of... Uh, Bad news, I guess, here. Just as China is about to lift travel restrictions in Wuhan, the city considered to be the country's one-time epicenter of the coronavirus, Beijing has now reported an increase in asymptomatic cases, which raises new concerns about a second wave of infections. China has reported about 3,300 deaths, which any rational person would recognize as a lie. The... uh, Reuters report cited by Fox News here that China allows residents in the city to leave their homes in compounds that are considered to be epidemic free. The status of 45 compounds, though, have now been revoked since the increase in asymptomatic cases. If you like the show, the content we're doing here, the interviews that we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the reviews and consider becoming a patron of the program. Links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com. Thank you so much for your support. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.